Thank you, Tim. I think today's the first time Tim has read scripture, at least on a Sunday morning and Sunday evening worship service. Am I wrong on that? I don't know. I thought, I was thinking this was first day, first time, but uh, Tim did a great job and we appreciate him very much for reading our scripture today and we appreciate all of our young folks for their willingness to serve in this capacity. We are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 22. I know that a lot of folks are on the road traveling. It is a holiday weekend, and hopefully and prayerfully, everyone has a safe journey to and from their destination. If you are going to be out of town tomorrow, we pray that you'll be safe. And uh, hard to believe that September is here. When I was growing up, Labor Day was kind of the end of the summer, and we always began school the day after Labor Day. And it seems to me that they keep bumping it up earlier and earlier, and so before long, I'm not sure if they'll have a summer break, summer vacation. But uh, nonetheless, grateful for all the opportunities that we have to be off. Let's look at Matthew chapter 22 tonight. I want us to think for a minute or two about the dimensions of love spoken of by Jesus in this context. And really, we could sum it up like this. God is desirous of our love. And God wants us to love Him. He wants us to love one another. And He wants us to love ourselves. And so tonight we're going to be talking about that for a minute or two. And as we look at Matthew chapter 22, there are probably a lot of things that could be said about the context here. And one of the things that strikes me in looking at this verse and others that have to do with loving God and loving one another, there is so much information in Scripture about love. And we've been singing songs tonight reminding us of the importance of love. And so tonight as we think about the dimensions of love, I want to begin by first of all calling attention to the fact that we are to love Almighty God. And so we're going to talk about reflecting upon loving God. And so listen to what, listen to what the record reads in verse 35. And in verse 35, the Bible says, one of them, a lawyer, this would be an expert in the law, a teacher of the law, asked Jesus a question. And Matthew said, he asked this question, testing him. In other words, he wanted to somehow ensnare Jesus or trip him up, as we would say. So he wants to know, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus responds by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So let's talk about the dimensions of love spelled out by Jesus. First, our love is to be directed upward. Secondly, it is to be directed outward. Thirdly, inward. So what about directing our love upward? Well, Jesus said that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Let's talk for a minute or two about the essence of love. If you want to really know something about the essence of genuine love, 
then look to God. Do you remember what John said in 1 John chapter 4? He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is really the true essence, the epitome, as we would say, of love. And you can begin looking at the Scriptures, go back to the Old Testament, read through the New Testament. Over and over again, you'll read something about God's tremendous love for His creation. I can't help but think about the words of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. And Jeremiah was directing attention to the children of God, the southern kingdom. And on behalf of God, he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's genuine love, isn't it? And then, I can't help but look at the New, Test New Testament and read where Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So what about the essence of love? What's that mean? To me, when I think about the love of God and the importance of loving God, when I begin to look at the nature, the character of God, I see that His love is unselfish. His love for us is undeserved. I mean, think for a minute about what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God counted not being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped. Paul said, but he emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. He said, yes, even the death of the cross. God's love for us unselfish. And then in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for the many. In other words, Jesus came to serve. And Jesus demonstrated time and again sacrificial love. His love for us was unselfish. And then what about his love for us undeserved. In other words, did we deserve his love? No. What did we do to rate the love of God? Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 5 verse 6? But God commendeth his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 6 he said, Christ died for the ungodly. We didn't deserve his love. No way we could merit his love. No way we could go before the throne of God and say, God, you owe me your love. But he loved us. Why? Because we are the crown of his creation. So, the essence of love is God. But what about the evidence of love? How do we show our love for God? Does God want our love? Well, we just read in Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus said that we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And he said, this is the first and great commandment. John said, we love him because he first loved us. Only when we can come to somehow understand the love that God has for us 
can we in turn reciprocate that love for him? So we talk about reciprocating that love and then replicating that love. Do you remember in John chapter 15, verse 9, when Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. God loved Jesus, the Son, and Jesus said, I have loved you. Now, if we understand something about the love of God, the love of Christ, then hopefully and prayerfully, we will in turn love him and then replicate that love. How do we show our love for God? In John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus makes a very interesting statement. He said, I always do those things which please my Father. So how do we show our love for God? Didn't Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commandments? Didn't John write in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments? His commandments are not burdensome or grievous. And I think the idea is that because we love God and because there is this genuine connection, we understand God's love for us, we understand the sacrificial love of Jesus, and because of that divine love, then we reciprocate it and then we replicate it. We love as he loved, but we show our love by obeying his will. Again, think about the words of Jesus. I always do those things that please my Father. As we go through life, if we could only remember that the way that we show our love for God is by willingly, humbly, and submissively honoring His Word and His will. Sometimes that's easier said than done. But to loving. So our love has to be directed upward. But then Jesus said, not only are we to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, but He takes it a step farther. We are to love our neighbor as ourself. Listen to him. You shall love your neighbor. Let's just stop there for a minute. Our love is directed upward. It's directed outward. How so? By loving our neighbor. There is the command to love in Scripture. As a matter of fact, it is a divine demand. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 13. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I also have loved you. And then he said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. Does the Lord want us to love one another? Yes. Well, what about the depth of love? Jesus in talking about love, and he is answering a question posed to him by this so-called supposed expert in the law. And he wants to know, okay, what's the, great, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, well, first you need to love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And then the second, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. 
So, are you saying that the Jews didn't know anything about loving one another? Not at all. They had been commanded to love one another, but what Jesus does is takes it to a higher plane, doesn't he? Because in John chapter 13, verse 34, he said, listen to him, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I also have loved you. Well, how much did Jesus love us? He sacrificially went to the cross, didn't he? He sought to do the Father's will. In other words, God the Father was the architect of the plan of redemption. Jesus was the agent by which this plan would be consummated. And so Jesus was willing to go to the cross for us. We talk about the highest form of love. And there are several words that are used in the original language to describe love. The highest form of love would be agape love. That sacrificial, self-giving love. And Jesus is saying, as his people, as his disciples, that's how we're to love. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment or two about the characteristics of love. I want to call attention to a couple of passages very quickly. Because when we talk about loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and you think about for a minute the fact that God is saying, I want you to love me with your entire being. And then you need to learn to love your neighbor. Okay? How do I love people that sometimes are not so lovable? How do I love people that make it very difficult for me to want to love them? So let me just call attention to a couple of passages of Scripture. I want to call call your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 first. And let's talk about some of the loving attributes that Paul discusses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. By way of application, when you begin reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 and following, Jesus really raises the bar. And he, or rather Paul raises the bar. Jesus already raised the bar. But Paul is saying in this context that if we genuinely love one another, then we're going, we're going to take these attributes and make them a part of our lives. So listen to what he says in verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Paul is writing to whom? Christians, isn't he? And you know, there is the divine side of the church and there is the human side of the church. The divine side would be perfect. The human side of the church is imperfect. It's made up of imperfect people. That's us. And so what Jesus is saying in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, is that if you want to show the world what it means to be a disciple of mine, then you've got to learn to love one another. That's the badge of discipleship. And Paul here is saying, okay, as Christians, sometimes it's not easy to love other people. Sometimes people push every button. They try your patience. and You've got to learn to forbear. You've got to learn to be long-suffering. And let me tell you what, sometimes it's really hard, isn't it? 
Listen to him. Love suffers long and is kind. You ever wanted to just tell somebody how the cow ate the cabbage? Sure you have. You ever had somebody just push every single button you have in a day? And you have had it up to here. And you're ready, you're ready to go to war, aren't you? And yet what Paul is saying is, okay, sometimes as Christians, we've got to step back. And what we've got to do is be long-suffering to one another, and we've got to be kind. And sometimes kindness is not easy to come by. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said that we're to be kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. And then listen to what he said. Love does not envy. In other words, love isn't jealous. You know, sometimes in the business world, people are jealous of the talents and abilities of other people, aren't they? Athletes are like that sometimes. They want to be the premier superstar. And they're jealous. Sometimes if we're not careful in the church... We can be jealous of the talents or abilities of other people. It might be the case that because of jealousy, we begin jockeying for a position in the church. And the church isn't like the corporate world. We're not trying to, to climb the corporate ladder on the backs of other people. And so what, what we're supposed to do is love one another, be kind, and work together. And then he said, love does not parade itself. It, it isn't puffed up. In other words, it's not arrogant. And sometimes one of the most difficult things in the world to demonstrate is humility. Because pride, pride, sometimes we have ego, don't we? We become proud and arrogant. And if we're not careful, the attitude, it's our way or the highway. And then he said, love does not behave rudely. You know, there's some folks in our world today, they have, they have turned rudeness into an art. I mean, they know how to be rude. They're, they're rude in the grocery store. They're rude at a department store. They're rude, they're rude at school. I mean, you just think about how people in our day and time, think about how others treat their fellow man. You know, we can be doing our best and giving our best day in and day out, but that's not good enough for some people. And so they're rude. And sometimes people, I, I think they enjoy being rude. And then he would say, love does not seek its own. It's not about, it's not about me. It's not about us. 
rather, we've got to be selfless. And then he said, is not provoked. Tell me that's not tough. Because as I said a moment ago, are there not people that know how to push every button sometimes? Yes. And there are some people, they want to provoke you. That's their intent. And if you look at those, well, really go back and look at the scribes and the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders that Jesus interacted with on a number of occasions. I think they sought to the best of their ability to provoke him, to push his buttons. They were looking to get a rise from him, to somehow ensnare him. And then it says, love thinks no evil. Let me just pause here for a minute. Why is it when something happens, rather than thinking the best, we tend to think the worst? Why is it that we assume somebody is guilty before ever hearing them out? Are we not guilty of that sometimes? You know, rather than trying to give them the benefit of the doubt as a brother or sister, rather than trying to assume the best, what do we do? We, we twist it, we turn it, and we look at it from a negative vantage point, and we think the absolute worst. And Paul said, that's not the way love operates. But then he said, does not rejoice in iniquity. Sometimes good people get caught up in bad things. Sometimes good people do bad things. And there are times when, and go back and look at, go back and look at some of the great characters of the Bible. And there have been some great people, great men of God who have made mistakes, who have fallen short. And Paul here said, listen to him again, love does not rejoice in iniquity. When a brother or sister falls or stumbles, rather than being the first to try to crucify them, we ought to do our best to try to lift them up and help them and encourage them. You know, when the prodigal son went out into that far country and wasted his substance with riotous living and made a mess of his life and spent everything that had been entrusted into his care, it would have been very easy for his father to have said, I knew that happened. I knew you would go out and make a mess of your life. But he didn't do that, did he? Now, his older brother, his older brother accused him of spending his inheritance on harlots, and maybe he had. But the bottom line is, we ought, we ought to do our best to restore that person, help that person, repair that relationship rather than rejoicing 
in their fall. And then he said it rejoices in the truth. And listen to verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Perseveres, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And why is that? Because we're human beings. Whenever you deal with human beings, with human beings, you are dealing with imperfect creatures. And we are imperfect. Think about the golden rule. The golden rule, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Do you want people to be forbearing and loving and kind to you? Yes. Do you want people to demonstrate the attributes that Paul's talking about here? Yes. Now, Let's talk for just a minute about love and action. And turn with me, if you would, very quickly to Romans chapter 13. Look at Romans 13. In Romans chapter 13, verse 8, Paul said, Owe no man anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then listen to what he says. He's talking about loving one another, the importance of loving one another, and how love is the fulfillment of the law. And let me just preface this by saying this. Look at all the problems that we have in our world today. You know, the thing that strikes me is God is an all-wise God, isn't he? And God has the ability to point us in the right direction and to say, look, if you will humble yourself, if you will humble yourself and live in accordance with my will, what will I do? I'll bless you, won't I? And you can enjoy peace and prosperity and success in life. We've got a lot of problems in our world today, and you think about all the problems, all the chaos and all the division, the prejudice, the racism, all of the problems that we have. Turn on the, turn on the news tonight. What are you going to see? Well, somebody got shot. Somebody got mugged. Somebody got carjacked. Somebody got killed, etc. On and on and on. Okay, so what about the application? What about love and action? Here it is. For the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. I mean, you think about the problem that we have in our country today as it relates to marriage. If we genuinely love one another as the Bible teaches, is divorce going to be a problem? Faithfulness going to be a problem? No. Why? Because we love one another. Listen to him. You shall not murder. Well, why? Because I love my fellow man. I mean, look at, look at the Mid-South area and how many murders have taken place in this area since January 1. I don't know how many, but a lot. And yet, if we genuinely love our fellow man, are we going to take his life or her life? No. He goes on. You shall not steal. Well, why? Because it belongs to my neighbor. And the Bible says that I am to love my neighbor. That's what, that's what Jesus taught. So why would I take something that doesn't belong to me? And then he said, you shall not bear false witness. You think we got a problem in our world today with lying and people misrepresenting the truth and telling falsehoods? Yes. So why is that? And yet, Paul here is saying, okay, let's just put it to the test. 
If we genuinely love one another, if we love as we're supposed to love, we're not going to have adultery, we're not going to have murder, we're not going to have thefts, we're not going to bear false witness, and then he said we're not going to covet. We're not going to be trying to take something from another person, that inordinate affection, covetousness, which is idolatry. And people sometimes get themselves in a lot of trouble because they are covetous and they want, want, want. And sometimes they don't care how they get it, they just want it. So here's what Paul said in summation. If there is any other commandment, he said, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then listen to him in verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You see, if we love one another, what, what the Lord is saying is, the world would be a better place. You know, it's amazing to me that we have psychologists, psychiatrists, sociologists. We have people trying to understand people and why they do things. And we, we're constantly looking and searching and trying to figure out, okay, how can we somehow get things tilted better in the world in which we live? I can tell you how. Just follow the Word of God. It's that easy. I mean, imagine standing before Congress or Senate and as you stand before those lawmakers saying, okay, I've got the solution to all the problems that we're facing in this country tonight. The question is, are we willing to do it? Here it is. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. That's it. So we, we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We are to love our neighbor. Our love is directed upward outward and then inward because Jesus said we are to love our neighbor as listen to him you shall love your neighbor as yourself do you love yourself do you like who you are be honest do you like who you have become are you pleased Maybe, maybe the question ought to be, is God pleased? But think with me for just a moment. There are some false views about self that are so common. Let, let me just share with you a couple. Now, Jesus said we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So, how many people in our world today and how many people in the church would say right up front, I am a nobody, a nobody. Not just a nobody, but I am nothing. Are there not people in our world and in the church today that have the idea that, that they are insignificant, unwanted, unloved, they have no self-esteem, they lack self-confidence because in their mind they are a nothing and they are a nobody. And yet the scripture says differently, doesn't it? 
why do you think people act the way they do in the world in which we live and how they mistreat other people? I think one of the reasons is because they have no self-worth and because they have been taught either verbally or non-verbally that they are a nothing. And sadly, there are some mamas and daddies that will tell their children, you are a nothing, you are a nobody, and you will never amount to anything. That's what they say. So what chance does that child have? None. None. There are some false views about our self-worth. But there are also some facts that I believe help to validate our self-worth. And here it is. Let me ask you this question. Or let me just ask it this way. How do you know how valuable you are in the eyes of God? If I were going to somehow sum it up in two words, here's what I would say. The cross. I mean, really. If you want to know how valuable you are, if you want to know something about your self-worth, and by the way, someone said one time, the straightest line to the throne of God is self-esteem. If you want to know something about who you are and your worth, your intrinsic worth or value in the eyes of God, then look upward. But what about what about the facts that validate our self-worth? God's plan of redemption, doesn't that say something about our worth? And then think about the person that God used to redeem us, that being Jesus. Does that not say something about our worth? Yes, it does. Let me just close by citing a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8. Paul said, if God spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. Now you just let that sink in for a minute. If you had been the only person to have ever lived, God would still have sent his son to die for your sins. Now you talk about your worth, your intrinsic worth, your value. And people today, they want to know the value of this or the value of that or what's this worth or what's the price of that. And they diminish the value, the worth of the human being. But what God is saying is, there is a premium on your head. There is a premium that has been placed on your head, on your soul by a loving God in heaven. And you are a somebody. As a matter of fact, in the church, everybody is a somebody. Everybody. Why? Because we've been made in the image and the likeness of God. We enjoy the blessings of God. As a matter of fact, in the world. What God is saying is, everybody is a somebody. So, Jesus said we need, to, we need to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves. Sometimes that's easier said than done, isn't it? So the question is, what are we going to do? Are we going to love as the Lord wants us to love? Are we going to be what he wants us to be? I would hope that when people see the church at Olive Branch, they see people that love one another. I think they do. And I would hope that we would do our best
to love any and everybody. And when people come through our doors, we, we show them our love, that we demonstrate that to the best of our ability. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you're here tonight and you believe Jesus is the Son of God and you'd be willing to repent of your sins and confess His name, be baptized into Christ, you can enjoy, as Peter said, the remission of your sins. Forgiveness. Fully. Absolute. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to His cause and you need the prayers of the church, look, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. If you're struggling in life and you need the prayers of the church, we'd be happy to pray for you. Won't you come as we stand and sing?